Welcome to BSD Talk number 224. It's Thursday, April 11, 2013. I just have an interview for you today, so here it is. Today on BSD Talk, we're speaking with two board members from the Free BSD Foundation, Kirk McCusick and George Neville Neal. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. All. I guess there's some new stuff going on with the foundation, and it would be nice to hear, I guess, where the foundation's going and what are some of the big projects that it's trying to do. So, uh, well, one of the biggest projects, one of the projects that I was involved in most recently and the one that uh, people will be able to see if they come to BSD can was a uh, port of FreeBSD to an ARM-based uh, desktop and laptop system made by Genesee. This is something called the Effica. If uh, people are watching the head of the tree, they'll see that Alexander Rybalko's code, and I've probably pronounced his name wrong, uh, just went into the head of the tree. And uh, most people who look at the ARM architecture on FreeBSD only see little tiny embedded boards, which is great, um, but they're not really good for demos. And having basically the equivalent of a Chromebook laptop, a, a super light, super small laptop that's running X11 uh, on top of FreeBSD current is a really nice thing for us to have to show to people and for people to kind of mess around with. So that was one of the projects that I was involved in. I was the technical reviewer for that, worked with Alexander to... Test code. I've I've got one of the thing, one of the little laptops, and we bring it to uh, uh, BSD events. So I brought it to Asia BSD Con in uh, March, just recently, and I'll be bringing it to BSD Can. It'll be at the foundation table, so people can come by and play with uh, you know FreeBSD running on an ARM-based laptop. And how does the foundation's involvement move that ahead in a way that just a developer couldn't do on their own? It's funding and it's technical guidance and it's you know, finding the person who can do the work and vetting that they can do the work and vetting their work. Uh, and then, you know, they get it into the tree. But getting a new arc, getting a port onto a new piece of hardware is non-trivial. We also, Foundation also provided the actual hardware to several people for testing that. So the, the little laptop that I've got here, they're pretty inexpensive. They're uh, $200 US, around $200 US. So a few people... Um, who were working closely with Alexander, got those and used them. And, of course, the laptop here now travels with me to all these BSD events so that people can see it. So that's the role is funding and vetting and uh, coordination. And, Kirk, how about you? What have you been involved with with the FreeBSD Foundation recently? Uh, well, I only recently have gotten onto the board, and so I've just been getting up to speed one of my uh, the very first role they dropped me in was uh, managing their uh, money, so I uh, essentially taking it out of a money market fund and putting it into something that would gain a little more uh, interest on it. And but uh, more more specifically, I have been I, I was involved in the first sort of big push for fundraising, which happens typically at the end of the year because everybody suddenly realizes that they better hurry up or they won't get their tax deduction for the year. Uh, and so that involves a lot of just talking to people and uh, doing company visits and uh, things of that sort. And inevitably, 
board members are trying to use their Rolodex to, to go find people that they know that would potentially be interested in funding things. Uh, one, of, one of the issues for the foundation is that we don't want to be entirely funded by companies. Uh, first of all, the IRS tends to take a dim view of it as really just a, if it's just a front for manufacturers to, to get tax deductions for stuff they would otherwise already do. Uh, so it's important that you have a lot of individuals contributing. And so a lot of that involves just, you know, letting the people that use FreeBSD uh, know about it. And if you go look on the, the FreeBSDFoundation.org website under the, you know, who our donors are, it goes on for page after page after page of these individual donors. Uh, and that shows that we have the support, not just of big companies, uh, but also of a lot of these individuals. And so... Part of the role is to is to make sure that we get a lot of individuals to contribute. That's normally one of the things I'll do when I go to a conference is go up to the FreeBSD Foundation table and make a small donation just to make sure that list stays healthy. Exactly. Right. People like you are important. <laughs> yeah. And both of you mentioned money, but I believe the FreeBSD Foundation is more than just that, right? Yeah. The, a lot of people don't sort of understand the role of the FreeBSD Foundation. They think that you know somehow the FreeBSD Foundation is in charge of FreeBSD or runs FreeBSD or whatever. FreeBSD is an open source project. It existed before the foundation existed, and uh, it runs itself as an open source project. And the FreeBSD Foundation is really just sort of an adjunct that's on the side. And historically, it got actually put in place in order to handle legal issues. So if uh, there's a need to get a non-disclosure signed. They are a legal entity that can do that uh, rather than having individual developers have to sign a non-disclosure. And then it, by having the, the umbrella of the foundation do it, the developers that are you know, associated with it can then freely interchange information without concern of getting themselves in trouble. The foundation started raising money really uh, initially just to sort of be able to cover its own expenses but uh, as it started to get ahead of steam and we've started being able to raise significant amounts of money, especially in the last year, we really had a big ramp up. We had uh, one anonymous contributor that gave a significant chunk of money and in order to sort of get the ball rolling, as he put it. So now we actually have enough funds that we're getting into a position where we can do more than just little individual projects on the side, but we can actually bring people in as full-time staff to work on things that we've traditionally had purely done as volunteers, such as release engineering and other things of this sort, uh, and have somebody that can really have that as their day-to-day job uh, and really keep the continuity there. So although it's still largely driven by the volunteers, there's somebody to sort of fill in the gaps when when necessary. I think the foundation sponsors conferences, does travel grants, and I guess a whole bunch of things. Right. So uh, we sponsor uh, several major BSD conferences every year. We're, we're a sponsor of Asia BSDCon, which I'm on the program committee for, and uh, I just recently attended. went extremely well. Uh, that was in Tokyo, Japan. And we're sponsors of the upcoming BSDCan, as we are every year and have been uh, for quite a while. Uh, BSDCan coming up in May. And we do, uh, we've just put out our call for proposals for travel grants to BSDCAN. We also fund 
the developer summit, which is the FreeBSD developer summit, which is two days for two days before BSD can. So yeah, we do a lot of that kind of fundra- uh, funding for the BSD uh, conferences. Also Euro BSD. Right, coming up in the fall, which is going to be in Malta. They've actually decided early this year. Oh, lovely. I wish yeah. I could make all of these conferences. It would be a great way to travel. I think a lot of people want to make it to Malta. Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when you start talking about full-time people, inevitably the questions of overhead comes up. What is the uh, foundation's, I guess, stance around uh, what percentage is towards overhead versus actually directly funding projects or people? Uh, the foundation has always been lean and mean. For most of its existence, it had a quarter or a half-time employee that essentially dealt with just the checks coming in and keeping the books balanced and acting as you know the person who would contact the lawyers if some legal thing needed to be dealt with or whatever. And Deb the, is now in a full-time position there. And even with her in a full-time position, uh, the overhead is is still minuscule. Nearly all of the money is is going to programs, uh, either you know funding conferences or travel or whatever. Uh, and even in this instance where we are adding employees, in essence, they are th- these are folks so far at least that have successfully proposed and done projects for us. So it's really just taking money that you know would was sort of considered as program. Uh, and and saying, okay, well, instead of having you come to us a project at a time, let's just say, okay, just do projects sort of as a full-time thing. And in exchange for that, we're going to ask that you also help with some of these other things like the release engineering process or the management of the machines or whatever. Uh, again, filling in and helping the volunteers. But Although we call them employees, they aren't employees in the sense of running the foundation. They are employees almost of the, the FreeBSD project. Uh, so in that sense, our overhead is still one person debt. Right. And, um, you know, like Kirk says, and this is really important, I think, for people to understand, having someone in a role where we have their attention full time or half time, because um, some of the people we brought on, we brought on half time. But having someone where you've always got their attention uh, and then you can focus them on, you know, projects that they might do, might have done, but projects perhaps they hadn't looked at um, is really useful for the FreeBSD project itself. So uh, we all know that release engineering is extremely important and source developers and ports developers and all kinds of developers are like, yeah, release engineering is really important. But having someone who, you know, that's, where that's a quarter of what they do during the day, uh, that really that kind of attention is really important. In particular, because one of the reasons the foundation is able to scale is because the project's scaling. There's just a lot of people using FreeBSD, and the more uh, that the project scales, the more support it's going to need in roles that perhaps, for instance, kernel engineers are not the best for. So you know, release engineers have a really a somewhat different skill set. Then kernel engineers and having someone whose job it is to do that is really important to a project that wants to put out, you know, an OS and its associated tools on a on a regular schedule. And the other thing is that uh, I mean it's not unprecedented. There's increasingly as more companies are 
using and depending on FreeBSD, they are hiring people full time as you know dealing internally with their their BSD uh, FreeBSD stuff. And so these people are de facto working on FreeBSD full time and being paid to do it. Uh, the difference here is that companies typically have a particular focus. You know, they, they, they're network router companies, and they want you know their interest on the people that they're paying is to work on networking. They they don't really care about things that are outside of that domain. And the people that are doing you know file system appliances are care about the file system and so on and so forth. And what ends up happening is that there's lots of people that are being paid to work on FreeBSD, but they're focused in these little areas, and inevitably there are these little gaps that aren't being filled. And a lot of what we're trying to do is to fill in some of those gaps that are, you know, would otherwise make it difficult for a lot of these things to move forward because it's just the sort of glue you need to make everything work together happily. I guess not everyone gets to work on their favorite thing all the time, and a little cash incentive to push some things along is a good thing. Yeah, and we've done that, as, as George said, with projects up to this point, where you know there's a specific thing that needs to get done, and like the, the port to the, to the ARM-based laptop, uh, and there was a person who'd been working on ARM and really sort of wanted to do it, but... They're, they were self-employed, and they had to do enough stuff to keep money coming in the door, and they really just wanted to be able to focus full-time for about six months on just finishing this thing up and you know, making it real, as opposed to you get the first 90% done, and it kind of sort of works, but doesn't really, and then there's just the remaining 90% to finish. And so <laughs> by doing a project, they were able to just sit down and be paid so they could full-time do it and really push it across the finish line. And it, it's things like that where the, the, the money from the foundation uh, goes a long way. We, one of the things about the project is that we really have a very large international presence. And, in fact, uh, the, the first two people that we brought on uh, are both in Eastern Europe. And the total cost for them full-time, the two of them, is less than what you'd pay one full-time person in the United States or even Western Europe. Yeah. And Kirk, um, what was that? There's the I.O. project? Yes. The, uh, one of the, one of the uh, projects that's gotten done recently is this thing called Unmapped I.O. And I don't want to drill down too, too much into the weeds here, but in essence, the, the sort of model that the operating system has is if you write a file from user space – what first ends up happening is that the data is copied from your application buffer into a buffer in the kernel. And then from there, it gets written out to wherever it's going, network or disk or whatever. Historically, what ended up happening was that you would create this buffer in the kernel and you had to map that into the address space of the kernel uh, and then copy the data into that and then send it on its way. And it turns out doing these mappings into the kernel uh, requires that on a multiprocessor system, as almost everything is today, every single processor has to be notified, oh, by the way, the kernel mapping has changed and you need to know about it. And all of that communication, uh, interprocessor interrupts, had a huge amount of overhead. 
And it's really totally unimportant that we even bother mapping it into the kernel, really. We can just tell the device, look, it's on those physical pages. Just go over there and deal with it. And so we this unmapped project basically gets that out of the loop. Uh, and the upshot is that it makes all I.O. on the system that can use this feature run about uh, 25% faster. And that, that kind of project is a project that you know maybe one person would want to do, but it, it was – unlikely that it would get sufficient attention to be applicable broadly. And so the foundation stepped in and said, okay, if someone wants to propose to do this, we will fund someone for a short period of time to just get this so that it works, you know, it really works for everyone and it works across the operating system. And I just think that's another good example of a, of a project that, you know, we funded that is broadly applicable to the entire project. Right. I mean, anybody that, whether you're doing networking or file systems or whatever, benefits from this. Uh, the other, I mean, you know, it had been done sort of as a prototype in one of the architectures, and that's where it had stopped because, you know, proof of concept showed that it would work, but who's going to take half a year to actually make it work, you know, across all the architectures and, you know, across all the subsystems and so on and so forth, which is just, I don't want to say grunt work because it's hard to do, and but, uh, you know, somebody needed to just sit down and say, okay, we're going to do this. And no individual company was willing to put you know, half a man year into something you know, just because it's going to help one little corner of their product. Whereas being able to do this where it helps a lot of different uh, organizations across all the architectures was just an obvious win. And I guess I should, the other two things I should probably mention is um, <clears throat> the foundation also supports the project with hardware. In the past, we've run a lot of our infrastructure uh, so, you know, mirrors and ports and subversion repos and in the past CVS repos and things like that. We, we get a lot of colo, we get colo space donated, we get power donated, we get network donated. Um, but often when we get hardware donated, it's old hardware. We tend to have been uh, buying newer hardware so that we have, so that hardware has longer legs, can serve better. Um, and so now we have the, the colo on the East Coast at NYI. They've been very kind in uh, giving us four racks and power and network. Uh, and the foundation has bolstered hardware donations, some of which came from actually my employer. Uh, but we've bolstered that with new hardware, uh, often when we need to put in firewalls or routers or things like that. Uh, the foundation is stepping in there. So that's another role the foundation has uh, in supporting the FreeBSD project is in terms of hardware and infrastructure. There's also the, uh, the that, that whole network testing framework. Right. So the, the other thing, which is another uh, project that I've helped work on, is uh, Centex, a company up in Canada who uses FreeBSD in their business, actually has given us uh, space and power for a network test facility. Uh, as newer network technologies, in particular 10 gig, were coming online, 10 gig equipment is extremely expensive compared to commodity 1 gig. And in order for FreeBSD to have the testing resources in place to effectively test new 10 gig NICs and 10 gig switches and how, you know, our networking stack, which is, you know, the industry, kind of the industry standard networking stack for the Internet, in order to test that on 10 gig hardware, getting 10 gig hardware to individual developers would have been very expensive and far more expensive than buying a smaller amount of hardware and sharing it at this lab up in Canada. Uh, run by the folks at Syntex, who've, like I said, been really kind in donating space, power, and network. 
And so the foundation stepped in and bought some of that hardware and put that in place. So what is your sense overall of, I guess, the the health of the foundation from a funding standpoint in, I guess, relation to the goals you've got for the upcoming year? Last year, we had a, a uh, goal of, of raising half a million dollars and largely due to the, the uh, I'll call it a challenge grant uh, that was made, we ended up with uh, over three quarters of a million dollars, the challenge grant being a quarter million dollars. So we essentially made our half a million plus we got an extra quarter million, uh, which really sort of doubled the amount of money that we had available and is what got us going on, okay, we need to rise to this challenge, and, and uh, which is one of the things where we decided that we were not trying to do it just by soliciting more projects, but by trying to pull in some of these, the, the folks that had been doing successful projects uh, and just sort of getting them to do stuff full time. Uh, so we, we've had this large influx, and uh, we are trying to, to make effective use of it. So then the, the net effect of this is that going into next year, or this year really, if we're really going to be successful at doing that, we need to raise our sights on the amount of money that we want to raise. So our, our goal for this year is to raise a uh, million dollars. So the project over the last two years has really started to ramp up. You know, when you're in the middle of it, as George and I am, it isn't always quite so obvious. But I was giving a talk in New York uh, a couple months ago uh, to a to a group there, the New York uh, – BSD users group, and you know, I sort of talk about FreeBSD and what's going on, and my new role and as what's going on at the foundation. And so then I take questions at the end, and and one of the the questions was from someone who said, you know, it used to be so easy to upgrade from one release to the next, you know, but now when I went from eight to nine. So much stuff had changed. Everything was different. You have a new this and a new that, and you know, you're making it really difficult. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, yeah, we're really actually, you know, the project is has just you know sort of geared up and is moving just at a much faster pace. And there's a lot more stuff happening. And to sort of stand back and sort of viscerally, you know, hear the user saying, "Hey, you're you know you're doing too much now." was one of the things that sort of brought me to thinking about the fact that we need to have people that try and smooth off some of these edges uh, because of the fact that there is so much changing that we really need to to make that transition less difficult for our users. Um, Linux went through a period of this, and uh, I like to refer to it as their success disaster because they were suddenly moving so fast and things were changing so much that on the one hand, a lot of things were changing, but on the other hand, it, it was frustrating their users. And so... I'm very attuned to the fact that, you know, we're starting to get some pushback from the users saying, look, you know, change is good, but you've got to manage it a little better. So on the one hand, yes, you know, huge amounts of stuffs are happening for the project. On the other hand, we, we need to handle that gracefully. I say everyone wants something new, but they don't want anything to be different. And it's a hard balance. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that about summarizes it. And in terms of, Sorry, sorry. Well, in terms of the the what we're going to try and do this year, um, one of the other things I should mention is we're going to do uh, two fundraising drives this year. So we do one traditionally at the end of the year uh, because that's when everybody's thinking about their taxes, and we can basically get them to donate because suddenly they're like, "Oh, I need to make a charity donation," and 
I'll do that to the foundation at the end of the year. But with BSD Can, which is the biggest uh, BSD event in terms of people uh, attending every year coming up, we're going to be announcing a new fundraising drive for the spring, basically, to try and uh, get people to donate, get the uh, money up to the million dollars that we want to raise this year. And, you know, when the board discussed this, it was an interesting discussion because, you know, the question was, well, how much do we want to set our target, you know, our target for? And, well, most of the people on the board are computer people. So we uh, went for a power of two. We just doubled last year. Um, but we think we can do it. So I, I, I'm pretty hopeful right now that we can make that number. And people don't have to wait for BSD Can to get started on that, right? Nope. They can donate anytime on freebsdfoundation.org. We, I believe we've just put up the new online donation system, which should be a lot simpler for them and, and actually a lot better for us because it uh, automates a lot of the paperwork in terms of getting in their letter of how much they donated and getting the stuff to us so we know who donated. Um, that, that should be online when they go there now. As for the nonprofit status and the tax side of things, for which countries does that apply? The 501c3 status is a U.S. statute, uh, so it only applies uh, for people filing taxes in the U.S. And I know that as individuals you can't steer funds to where you would like, but if you were king for a day and you had a big pile of a million or two dollars, what are some of the kinds of personal projects you'd love to see happen within FreeBSD? Well, I'm a file systems person, so, you know, and to a lesser extent, virtual memory. And there, I, I have, I don't want to say an infinite list, but I have a long wish list of, of projects I'd like to see done. In some, some of the smaller ones, we actually have been quite effective at doing through the Google Summer of Code, um, which we've been associated with pretty much since its start. And it has actually proven to not only be you know, useful for the, the, the people that go through it, but uh, our project among open source projects has been particularly successful at having the, the Google Summer of Code projects actually ultimately have an effect coming back into the tree. And it's also been a very good source of gaining new developers and committers for the FreeBSD project. In particular, uh, it, you know, almost every Google Summer of Code ends up having one or two of those project people doing those projects becoming part of the FreeBSD project. Or even more amusing, going off and working on uh, similar stuff other places. One of the projects that I mentored, the person who worked on the project wound up working at a company that uses FreeBSD, and then you know, two years later, I find out he's doing very serious senior stuff for them only a couple of years out of school because he'd worked on the project. But in terms of what I'd fund, so uh, I'm a networking guy, so there's definitely some networking projects. But actually, the, the thing, you know, if I had money to spend on a person to, to you know, work on a project, if I was going to pick a couple of projects, one of the things I think I would really like to see more attention focused on is actually D-Trace. Uh, we have a pretty good D-Trace port, but we're, you know, we need to keep up with what the Illumos guys are uh, doing. They're the ones who invented it. And it's, a, it's an incredibly useful tool for any operating system. And it's certainly one of the great differentiators on FreeBSD. And I'd like to see us do a lot more with it. And so that's actually one of the non-network areas that I would spend money if I had it. Yeah, I'll definitely second that motion. The D-Trace is just awesome. But it is a lot, a lot, a lot of infrastructure that 
constantly needs work to yeah. keep it at its best. Well, and it's also, I mean, the one thing that the Illumos guys don't do is they don't do it on anything besides Spark or I-386. So there's a port of it to, I can't remember if it's MIPS or ARM anymore, but there's a, a beginnings of a, a port to it to other architectures, but it requires architecture support. Uh, you know, it's down at the, uh, the instruction level uh, code in the operating system. So having that work across the architectures that FreeBSD supports and having it work well and work similarly would be something that would really be great for the project. Well, I hope that the funding targets can be reached and those projects and many more can be funded and move forward. I, I think, I guess you'll never be done. <laughs> There's always no, we'll never be done. Yeah. Yeah. I had uh, someone come up to me and say, you know, the interface to the operating system hasn't changed in a decade. Why do you need to keep stirring the pot in there all the time? You know, what, what are you doing? Uh, and you know, you, you point out to people that, you know, things keep scaling. I, I love to go back and look at, pick any random thing. But if you look in the original Unix, it supported up to 16 processes. And there was a process table, which was a statically sized table of size 16. And uh, so, you know, checking to see if a process was there was for I equals zero, I less than 16, you know, is it one of these? And, of course, over time, it's gotten bigger, and so now in order to look things up, you have to put in hashing tables, and in order to not be constrained to some fixed size at boot, you need to have it dynamically allocated, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. They're still just processes. You still ask, you know, whether a process is there or not, but the amount of infrastructure that you need behind that uh, just keeps growing um, as the systems get bigger and, and more complex in terms of the hardware they're running on and what they're trying to do. And that's true you know, all the way across the board. Pick any subsystem and you'll find that that's true. Yeah. So are there any other, I guess, topics you wanted to cover today? Um, I actually think we've covered all the, the major points. I mean, I think the, the important thing is for people to understand what the foundation does, uh, what its role is in relation to the project. And to understand, you know, what, you know, when they're donating and we really want them to donate, what their money is doing, you know, what, what we're doing with their money. We're not just sitting on it. We're not, uh, you know, using it for anything but to support the FreeBSD project and supporting infrastructure, supporting people to support the infrastructure. And as I think uh, Kirk pointed out really clearly, you know, rounding off the edges and filling in the gaps is really what we're all about. And I I think that that's what people really need to take away from this. And, and also just to reemphasize the fact that the FreeBSD project is the FreeBSD project and they make their own decisions and the, the foundation is really here in a support role yep. and is driven by what the FreeBSD project asks us to do. You know, they, they tacitly say, you know, it would be really helpful if this bitter piece could get done uh, and you know, we will then go off and do that. And, you know, we will support the developer summits and the conferences and the other things that, that bring people together. Uh, and for the people that have difficulty getting there, that particularly the ones that are very active in the project, that they're, they're the ones that we provide travel grants to so that they can meet face-to-face. -face. It, it's interesting that in this day and age of being connected, people are like, oh, I don't need anything on the you know, IRC and mail and this and that. But you get them together in the same room, and it's just a certain chemistry develops uh, between those people because they see each other as people. And so then when they go back you know, off to their respective parts of the world, 
uh, they get on IRC, but they, they sort of understand who they're talking to, and, and it makes them much more productive. So it, it, it really is providing stuff that is – it's the lubrication that's really helping the project move forward. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you for taking some time today to give us a little more information about the foundation, and I look forward to seeing you at one of the next conferences. Oh, we'll see you in May, I hope. Yes. Excellent. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Will. Thanks, Will. If you'd like to leave comments on the website or reach the show archives, you can find them at bsdtalk.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at bitgeist at yahoo.com. That's B-I-T-G-E-I-S-T. Thank you for listening. This has been BSD Talk number 224. Hello, I'd like to buy a cup license, please. Oh, what? A license for my network redundancy protocol cup. Well, it's free, isn't it? Exactly. The protocol's name is Cup. Cup the redundancy protocol. What? He is an redundancy protocol. Cup is a free redundancy protocol. Yes. Choose it out of three. I didn't like the others. They're all too encumbered. And now I must license it. You must be a loony. I am not a loony. Why should I be tired with the epithet loony merely because I wish to protect my redundancy protocol? I've heard tell that Network Associates is a pet algorithm called RSA, used in the IETF standards. And you wouldn't call them a loony. GeoWorks has a claim on WAP, after what the lawyers do to you if you try and implement it. And Cisco has two redundant patents, both encumbered. And CADTRAC has a patent on CASA movement. So if you're calling the large American companies that fork over millions of dollars to use X or a bunch of loonies, I shall have to ask you to step outside. All right, all right, all right.